Okay, my name is Peter White. I'm here with uh, Harry Morgan and Andrew Swantonar. We're going to talk through this week's issues on our weekly podcast for Rethink Energy. Just to remind everyone, this is um, because we've just completed our weekly um, series of analysis pieces um, called Rethink Energy, which you can buy for five ninety five from our website. Um, so. Harry, the first thing I wanted to talk about was oil trading, because one of your articles was um, about um, not so much the oil trading, but the the oil majors and what they what they're doing financially. Yeah, so obviously we, we wrote the article after we got the results from Shell and Total. I mean, since we've seen uh, both Chevron and Exxon Mobil announce their quarterly results, and we'll have uh, BP releasing theirs tomorrow. Um, but essentially, it's been the bad news that we're all expecting for them anyway. Um, I mean, it's just losses all around. I mean, you've got Total trying to trying to post a profit by hiding behind um, their impairment, but realistically, everyone's lost in the region of sort of six to eight billion dollars. Well, well, their impairment was um, uh, wasn't their impairment twenty one billion dollars? Uh, so Shell's impairment was around eighteen billion dollars, yeah, um, and that was sort of in the lower range that was expected. But I think once you actually consider sort of the the adjustments that they've made to those figures, it, it's a lot darker than they're trying to put across. Okay. And, and, and so what, what is really interesting, and everybody's arguing about, is whether or not BP will announce a dividend tomorrow, as it has done every year since the Second World War. Um, and what do you, do you think they will? I mean, it's something that we've been sort of calling for them to do for the past few months, really. Uh, I mean, we said it before, their last quarterly results. Um, and we're saying the same now. I mean, when you've got the job cuts that they've made um, compared to the likes of Shell, you haven't made the same level of cuts. It's hard to argue that you can be hemorrhaging so much debt that you're going to hold on to this level of dividend. Uh, isn't it? Isn't it time? I mean, we know it's going to happen this quarter. Next quarter is going to happen again. Um, the price is not going to come back uh, to oil uh, because the usage hasn't come back and the pandemic's not going away. Um, so we'll be looking at March, and we'll be having the same discussion about whether or not they should cut their dividend. They should just be changing the way they think about their own valuation, surely. Yeah, I think that's why everyone's sort of really, I say excited, everyone's very much looking at tomorrow's announcement. Um, obviously, if BP do announce a dividend drop, then it could actually be a sign that Bernard Looney is taking this energy transition really seriously and his promises of actually reforming BP as a company on the whole um, that they are actually starting to materialise. It's hard to say, obviously, their investments in clean energy are still so much smaller than their investments in oil and gas. So um, at this point, it's all a little bit hearsay, uh, but the, the dividend could be an early an early market. Yeah, well, the thing is, if they do kill dividends, all those firms... They have to then come back to the situation of well, how do they generate value? And then the only way they're going to do that is by changing their business into a renewable business model and acquiring as much renewable business as possible and get back into the dividend business as soon as they possibly can, but from a, a stable business. I can't see any of them doing that without a fight, but um, it's where we think they should be going. Yeah, it's interesting to see whether or not, I mean, it seems like, the first to drop the dividend is going, to, is going to be the most progressive through the energy transition. Um, I mean, obviously, we've seen Chevron and Exxon Mobile since post these massive losses, and they haven't dropped their dividend. So, I mean, we'd always expect those to be the slowest. Um, but it's whether or not BP wants to be part of their side or part of 
maybe alongside Shell, who is seeming to be more progressive at the moment. You, you, you imagine that if they could just take their spending on exploration, stop exploring, spend it all on renewables, that within a couple of quarters, they would start to have something. But nobody thinks that's a viable... They can't get out of the thought processes, which is the more we explore, the more we discover, the more we're worth. And, and they just keep going through that same cycle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so on, on that point, I wrote a, a paper which is available from the website to subscribers, which we call Energy Through the Looking Glass. And uh, we put a story out about it this week. And really, it's just... Um, uh, so we started it around the Tesla effect, what I'm calling the Tesla effect, although we've seen it on other stocks in other markets in the past. And, and it's when a, a stock breaks free of its fundamentals and starts being valued on a speculative level on what it could be worth in the future and how much, how many years of lead and technology lead it has over all of its um, its rivals. And while, while it's got rivals like Toyota and General Motors and it's now got higher value, uh, than them, where else is that going to appear? And uh, we just looked in this paper at, you know, if that's going to happen to boiler manufacturers, train makers, um, to obviously the electricity market, um, and there's going to be companies with massive Tesla-style valuations in early market for green hydrogen, I'm sure, which is something I think we'll come on to in a minute. And, uh, and so um, if anybody... Wants to look at that paper, uh, they only have to become a subscriber to the weekly service and it becomes free with that service. Or they can buy it on our website direct. Um, but, but we did a new story on that. And I can't see, of about 60 car makers there are in the world, I can't see more than 15 of them surviving in the next 10 years. When you go through that in terms of what's going to happen to stock prices and where the value in the stock markets are going to be concentrated. All of that seems to be obvious, but you'd need to read the paper to discover that. Um, so we want to just talk about Joe Biden uh, for a second. And there's two two uh, aspects to this. I want to come to you, Andrews, first and talk about if Biden wins, what, what's this going to mean to solar in the USA? Well, um, the back in 2016, Hillary Clinton, as part of her campaign, said that there would be 500 million solar panels which is about 140 gigawatts, depending on how big each one is. And now uh, that, that number has um, turned up again with Biden. And uh, they have this document written by Alexandria Cortez, Ocasio Cortez, and Bernie Sanders, who are, of course, on the more, much more progressive wing of the party. Uh, and they've been in charge of this to some extent, instead of Biden, who is on the sort of more traditional side of the Democrats. How much capacity did we forecast in in our solar forecast America to have by twenty twenty five or twenty thirty, um, and and how much difference is this going to make? So our forecast was more conservative than most um, because we think that most forecasters are too familiar with the USA, not familiar enough with other places, and so it biases them in favour of the USA. So we only had it doubling from sixty nine gigawatts to. I say only doubling to 138 gigawatts in 2025, um, but this is this is 500 million solar panels in four or five years, I think. So by 2025, instead of an addition of 69 gigawatts, uh, this would be an addition of twice that. So we'd be going up to over 200 gigawatts in total by then. 
in total installed capacity, which is the same that China, same amount China has that, right that's now. That's catching up China in, in five years. Yes, that would be amazing, and and it would change how the world perceived uh, America um, in terms of a renewable um, entity. It would it would put them. So, Harry, you had a few words to say about that in another article, um, because you're worried that 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 China would be uh, penalised if 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 during a Biden era it was seen to be dumping modules in the American market. It's more of a sense uh, that China, as a country, just has this massive abundance of solar panels now that it it hasn't been selling. Um, I mean, it's had a fifteen point seven percent increase in the production of solar modules, like, and they've spent about fifty nine gigawatts in the first half of the year. Yeah, for, for the first half of the year. Um, whereas exports have actually fallen by around 1.8%. So you've just suddenly got this massive abundance of panels on the market. And the natural thing to do in this case would be just to to dump them at low cost. But obviously in the context of the pandemic, you've got, with the US in particular, saying we're going to domesticate everything, it's all about local jobs, it's all about local manufacture. So it's whether or not Joe Biden, as part of his campaign, decides whether or not he's going to push for the US manufacture of solar panels, or if he's going to be like, let's go green, let's go as quickly as we can. Let's have the jobs and development side of things, and actually just letting these panels enter the market at low cost, which would essentially kill off companies like First Solar. It could do. Um, wouldn't it be funny if suddenly uh, uh, the top six suppliers in China, all um, you know, uh, who used to be on Nasdaq, some of them, um, borrowed American money and used it to create manufacturing in America, so that it could be a buy American, it could benefit from a buy American strategy. Yeah, absolutely. The borrowing of US money has actually become quite an interesting dynamic in this, because obviously China's, over the past few years, has actually accrued quite a lot of um, US-denominated debt, basically. Um, and what it normally does when it's got this abundance of any product that it's about to export is it essentially devalues its currency so that it can actually make, it just it, it makes it easier to dump these products onto the market. But with this dollar-denominated debt, it can't do that. So if tariffs are introduced, like the, in, through the Trump administration we've seen, um, then it will actually turn out that the Chinese modules could actually end up being more expensive or that the Chinese manufacturers could very much lose their profit margins per module. So it very much could go one of two ways depending on who is re-elected in November. Yeah, but I, I, we, I can't see um, tariffs being the way forward for Biden or his team because they, they are violently against it and you can't come out and and say it's wrong for Mr. Trump to do it, but it's right for us to do it. So, you know, there could be a strong buy American strategy. Andrews, did you? I think, yeah, I think for now, before the election, they don't want to go too hard on free trade and letting things in because um, you've got these Midwestern swing states that don't like that. They like to have their own industry. Um, but yeah, of course, after that, the natural impulse with... Uh, with trying to install all of this solar, is that you do need in, uh, imports. Well, actually, I mean, there's been, a, there's been an uptake of Chinese imports already, actually, even with the tariffs still in place. I mean, it's, it's up to 400, 500, gigawatt, uh, 500 megawatts in this first quarter, actually. Do you think that we could see imports even, without, even with tariffs? The really interesting thing here is in uh, bifacial, and I suppose Periscite as well, uh, which I'm sure Peace is probably about to mention. Um, but bifacial obviously has been exempt to tariffs, they're not exempt. So there will be this big influx in bifacial panels, which are just getting cheaper and cheaper. And that could be very much how the US starts to go forward with its solar. 
You look at someone, someone like First Solar, and they've got a, they're pushing into uh, into a pair of Skype um, as a kind of spray-on layer, and they, um, they they feel that they've got the edge on that. But it's still five years away. They've got to fight it out, slug it out in the traditional market for another five years before they can suddenly turn the tap on and and take the costs way down and start to challenge the Chinese on costs. Anyway, I think that's uh, a good discussion for this week. I think that we, you know, if you want to read this and uh, half a dozen other analyses, um, you need to go to www.rethinkresearch.biz, click on the energy button, um, go to weekly analysis, and if you're not a subscriber, sign up, and if you are, um, read the rest of the articles.